Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 980 of Flow Wrestling Radio Live. I'm your host, Christian Piles, joined today by James Dean Raider. No Ben, jet lag Ben. He's doing his, uh, what's he doing today? Dingo hunting, maybe? I don't know, kangaroo punching? Putting another shrimp on the Barbie? Putting another shrimp on the Barbie, perhaps? He's in Australia. He'll be back Wednesday. Which uh, is now as good as time as any to tell you Wednesday's show to accommodate for Diva Ben Askren uh, will be at noon Central, one Eastern. That's when we'll do it live. But as you know, you know it'll show up for most of you. You listen to this in your podcast feed or whatever after the fact. But on Wednesday. But on Wednesday, not Thursday. So it's a double change up. Thank you for mentioning that because that is a difference. Uh, but you, you long-time listeners know, you're never quite sure when the show's going to come. Keep you, on your toes. You have a general range of time when we're going to do it, but beyond that, there's no way of knowing. And there was no way of knowing what was going to happen in a lot of these brackets at CKLV, and many of them played out in uh, extremely unpredictable ways. It was an incredible weekend of wrestling in Las Vegas. It felt like... man, And we say it every year with, with Vegas, but this one felt above and beyond incredible and deep and it wasn't just like coming in a ton of ranked guys that's kind of normal but to have some of the upheaval that we saw in some of these weights was amazing and JD you were watching from home anything in particular stand out to you I mean day one it was like what the heck is going on at this tournament now a lot of things kind of got sorted out at the end if you look at champions Maybe a couple were off, but Nico Provo, probably the biggest surprise champion. But a lot of the favorites still emerged. Not all, not all, but day one, like round of 16, quarters, even round of 32, it was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, it really was. The whole time, it was, what is going on? And do we want to start biggest stores, or do you want to go weight by weight? Uh, Weight by weight is kind of... Because twenty five was is kind of the story in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, we had 
Obviously, Nico Provo bringing it home, as we were all saying coming into the tournament. Nico Provo. No, huge surprise to see the, the Stanford Cardinal emerge as the number one guy. A bracket that had Matt Ramos, it had Brett Unger, it had uh, who else was Terakina, Jory Volk, Caleb Smith, a lot of really tough guys, and the two seed Michael Diagostino as well. And it was Nico Provo who came into this week. That tournament ranked 30th. He came in as the nine seed, and all justifiably so. You know, you look at the end of his season last year, he had a lot of, it wasn't a strong finish for Provo, but he came out here and wrestled extremely well. Provo's a guy coming out of high school. He was number 57 on the big board. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's from the East Coast. I watched him at NHSCA's 2020 or something like mm-hmm. that. And sometimes you see those guys and, like, a performance really sticks out to you when they're in high school. He he was a guy who was like, this guy's going to be good. He's going to perform above uh, a 57 big board kind of rank, what we expect out of a guy like that. But then after last year and his – he didn't really – his redshirt year, he didn't really compete too much. And after last year, I was like, okay, maybe maybe he's not that guy. He just needed a year or two, I guess, because he really is that guy. Yes. Um he, he's he's that guy for now, and it's it's crazy. If you had said, "Hey, after CKLV, we're going to be talking about if Nico Provo should be ranked number one in America," I'd be like, "Just stop." Minko's that got to go over it after this. I'm ready to crown him. I think he should be crowned. We were talking about it a little bit before, and I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. Camacho's number one right now. He didn't make the walk. Provo made the walk. Beat Terakina. Ramos, who is Camacho's best win, Volk, and then Unger in the finals, crown him. He wants him crowned, and honestly, for for a weight like this, 125, which I have been saying since the offseason, actually since the middle of last year, this weight is going to be a disaster. Yes. Once once Spencer and Patrick leave, it's all, all bets are off, and that's exactly how it's played out the first month and change of this season. And it's honestly... It would be a justifiable choice. I don't know if it's the one I'd make or not, but the what makes it tough is a, a couple things. One, Richie Figueroa may be messing all this up by just not wrestling at all this year. We saw him at Vegas. He was training wrestling hard. They did not enter him. I think we'll see him at Reno. So he could he could have come in if he Which wins. I believe this... Pro, Provo lost to him last year. Yes, he did. <laughs> so you think about that. If Richie just comes here, or if Camacho comes here, either of those guys come and win this tournament, they're probably number one. Yeah. Um, but those guys Easily. don't compete. And when you consider, there's some guys with number one resumes, and they're a little tougher to take out. It's tenuous. Whoever's ranked number one, it is on a razor's edge that they're the number one guy. And so one disruption, like for Camacho, who's our current number one, he didn't compete here. Can you lose your number one spot? Well, in this case, you potentially could when the best win that Camacho has is Ramos is now shared by Provo, and he just ran a gauntlet at Vegas that Camacho wasn't there for. So I believe, isn't that Figueroa's best win too? Figueroa's best win is also Matt Ramos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Now, it's not just the Ramos win. Now you have a volume of ranked wins for, for Provo and outplacing some good guys. Like, he didn't get to beat Diagostino in a match, but Diagostino was defeated by, by Brett Unger. He beat Unger. Jory Volk was a guy. You, you re-wrestle this tournament, and 
if Jory Volk wins it, I'm not that surprised either. He 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 showed a lot to me this weekend. Caleb Smith also beat Matt Ramos. I I, I really as much as as much chaos as 125 has, it has a lot of really exciting wrestlers. Like that in round one, and if you watch this match, you know what I'm about to say. Jory Volk versus Anthony Moulton. I mean, Moulton had 99% of a takedown on two or three occasions against Volk. And Volk is just like so elusive in the scrambles. He's really hard to put down and score on. And uh, so he looked great there. He beat Caleb Smith and then Provo beat him. So it was a it was an awesome awesome showing by by Provo and I'll, I'll use this to kind of like get into the next thing Stanford had a fantastic tournament I thought they were mm-hmm. one of the stories here they placed seventh uh, they had a champion in Provo they had a huge upset with Lorenzo Norman uh, taking out Shane Griffith Griffith that was a big storyline on day one that he didn't didn't wrestle um, Cardenas beating Shapiro Yep, Cardenas over Shapiro was crazy. Cardenas had had a, over Chidham too. Yes, yes, he had a strong tournament for sure. Ch- yeah, fifty-seven was the the. We'll get to it, but that was the the weight we were most interested in coming into it, and it delivered tons of storylines. Before we move on from one twenty-five, a lot of people saying, "Oh, there was actually somebody in the chat that literally said Ramos went on a Moisey run." last year or is he even gonna I think that's a bad comparison because we said coming in Ramos is gonna be top ranked but it's probably not gonna stay mm-hmm. and it's about who wrestles their best in Kansas City in March Ramos can still win NCAs yeah that my opinion has not changed at all my opinion has changed on Nico Provo yeah now a little bit but this weight as a whole and that it's still up for grabs that has not changed my opinion on Ramos has not changed. I don't think he just went on a Moisey-type run. He's still really good. I think there's a high likelihood he All-Americans. He could not, but he, it's it's different. It's a different scenario, and this because this weight as a whole is so up for grabs. Yeah, I'm not selling my, my Matt Ramos stock, but it's, you know, it is... At the same time, if you are losing this many matches, it is it is concerning because he's lost now to Blaze, he lost to Camacho, and he dropped two here. So, you know, there's not a lot of guys who are winning titles that are that have, you know, four losses this early on. But it's 125 in the, in this year, and for that reason, there's no one that's uh, going to be a, a far and away. And, and you know. It, it was Camacho's opportunity to maybe cement that or Richard Figueroa's opportunity to cement that, that maybe they are the class of it. But, man, if you're, if you're not on the mat, then it's, it's hard for me to give that distinction, even though I think it's within both of those wrestlers to do it. Mm-hmm. One guy at 125 who didn't raise his stock, but I'm telling you to keep an eye on, Troy Spratley. Mm-hmm. I said coming in, you just got to work on his bottom game. That's what lost in the match against Jordan from South Dakota State. And then he lost he lost that one by one point, nine to eight, I believe. And then he lost um, five to four to Caleb Smith, who looks super tough. Yes. So his performance is going to fly under the radar because he didn't make the podium. But Troy Spratley, he's going to be pretty good, um, especially if he can figure out the bottom position. If you, man, and while we're talking Ramos, Caleb Smith, you should watch their consolation match. So... It goes to overtime, and they're in tiebreakers. And 
let's say R Ramos rides Smith or Smith rides Ramos for like 14 seconds, then Smith is bottom in the second set of tiebreakers, and the riding time's ticking down, ticking down. It's almost at zero, and then it starts ticking in favor of Ramos to two seconds when Caleb Smith escapes. So if the tiebreakers end, whoever has one second more riding time would be the winner. Well, they go back and review it, and they determine that that riding time was exactly even, which if you rewatch the match, it looks like Ramos has a second or two of riding time in that match. So very fascinating. And then Caleb Smith goes on to win that match later on. So very, very um, unique way to win a match. You don't see that very often. And um, certainly there's a case that, you know, Matt Ramos would have or sh even should have won that match. But as it stands, Caleb Smith got his hand raised and ultimately that's all that matters. Yep. Uh, D'Agostino looked tough until... Uh the Unger match, and he got hurt a little bit, defaulted out, which kind of set the tone, kind of or showed Michigan's whole tournament. Not uh, the best tournament no. for the Wolverines. You know, D'Agostino goes down, and he was, you, you can cite the injury, but he was going to lose that yes. match. He was 100% losing that match. And then, uh, you know, Shane Griffith goes down, and then he forfeits out. Forfeits out. Davison loses to Younger, which we all picked. We picked uh younger to win but you know you think that's a winnable match for him he's been a kind of a mainstay at heavyweight it's not not michigan's finest day that's for sure mm -hmm. um, in in a what was it you know a great team race with you know really there were four contenders there at throughout late day one and into day two iowa state ends up edging out nebraska by five points but ohio state was right there just two points behind Nebraska, and then NC State was was back 15 points, but they they had a team that could contend as well. But Iowa State ends up winning winning late. They had, you know, uh, four guys in the top three, which was a was a huge difference maker for them. And we had a question uh, from Tom Jordan: What percent chance did you give the Cyclones to win CQB? Going in, you know, you, you yeah. give them a shot on pa on paper for sure. Nebraska was the favorite going in. They they've they had won it two or three times in a row um, and were the favorites to do so again. But you tell me David Carr doesn't win, too. Yeah. That Terrakina has the Bombs tournament out. he does. And I'm like, no shot. I would I would have agreed with that 100%. Now, I thought Iowa State had a chance. And, and the teams that ended up being the top four plus Michigan were the ones I thought that were going to contend. Uh, once Vita was out for Cornell, I was like, okay, prob yep. probably not going to be in the mix. But I thought those those teams would contend, and you know Iowa State winning, and it's so it's pretty cool them coming off that loss to Iowa, and then they bounce back, recover, and win. Bar none, the toughest tournament of the year outside of conferences and NCAs. So a good uh, tribute to them and the the depth of the team. But yeah, Carr going down and Terakina not placing, I didn't anticipate that from from the Cyclones. So congrats to them. On, on bringing it home. Felt good for Cyclone fans to uh, get one after a tough week two weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably good. And, and Coach Dresser talked about that in the, uh, when they interviewed him the day before. It's like, it's good that we have this this big event right after the Iowa duel year to kind of, you know, move on from it quickly instead of dwelling on it for a couple weeks. And uh, no, no dwelling from the Cyclones. And maybe 
we can transition to, to 165 from this. And David sure. Carr losing, what do we attest that to? Ramirez is tough, but, I mean, I think we still all think if they wrestled again, we'll probably pick in David Carr to win. He has close matches sometimes. He kind of lets guys hang around, but he'd been wrestling so good this year. Just like a hangover match a little bit from the, from the Iowa duel or... No, I don't. I think I thought he looked. He didn't look like he was just trying to win close. He was attacking throughout the match. He attacked a lot in the first period. I think Ramirez is probably the best athlete he's wrestled this year, as far as a guy that can move. And yep. you know, Carr's ability to get to legs is is next level. And he just had a hard time getting to it. And then he did late, and he got he got out scrambled by Julian, who is a good scrambler. And that was that was the difference. Now Carr gets the reversal. They may be near fall, no near fall. That was the call there, and he doesn't get the swipes, and ultimately loses close. For for Ramirez, we talked about it on the show. We said hey, if you're looking for someone that could pull a big upset here, we said Julian is that guy, is that guy. He's got that X factor, but I don't think it's replicable again. I, I no cause for concern for Carr. He. He got tough and wrestled back for third really well. I think you just tip your cap. And, like, the margins are – we, we always take it for granted. And then an upset like this happens. Then you realize how narrow the margins are in mm-hmm. these matches, especially when it's two high-level guys like Julian and, and David. And, you know, it was, it was Julian's day, or at least for that match it was. But no cost for concern for, for David. I still think it's, it's him and Keegan. Mitchell is – it, looming, emerging, and looming, and it's going to be. We're going to be wondering, I think, right up until NCAA semis, where does Mitchell really fit here? Big Ten, so we I, don't get to see it. <laughs> we don't get to see Big Ten's. Guys. You know, Big Ten's is not bad at 165, and, and you know, if he loses one of those matches, then okay, that can recalibrate our expectations for Mitchell. But right now, my my thought is Mitchell is the only guy that can maybe contend with the, the Carr-Keegan thing, but now we have to throw Julian in that dynamic. After, yeah, I was about to say, after, after this weekend, I'm throwing Julian in there as well. But. Um, I, th- I think just as a potential, I, I'm not going to like pick it, still Carr-Keegan, definitely a tier above, but the, here's I the think thing. it is replicable for Julian to do what he did this weekend. Maybe giving him a, a 15, 10% chance. Maybe that's a little high. But there's a shot there. I think stylistically he's just a very good matchup against Carr. He's not a, he stays low. He's not afraid to put his head in between him and David Carr and stop that blast double that mm-hmm. Carr does so well. Carr's really good at darting in from the outside. Julian does a really good job of preventing that. Like you said, he can match David's athleticism, which isn't the case with a lot of people. Here's the thing. Julian didn't even win this tournament. I know. It was Isaac Olenek that won it. Who's having himself a season. What a season he's having. You know, he beats Hamity, and you're kind of like, all right, nice win. You give him credit there. He staved off. He fought off some attacks. He got the one takedown. But then he beats Cam Amin. Late, late takedown to beat Cam. And then beats Julian for for the title. And, I mean, this guy, what, he's going to be, he's going to be ranked third. Right, I mean, Carl's gonna stay number two. Carl stay two. Yep, he he's got the back resume, two wins over Keegan last season. Yeah, allow you to take a loss and stay number two. Yes, and especially you know Ramirez can't really pass him with the with the loss to right. Olenek. So Olenek though, a, a clear number three now at one sixty five, which 
when he transferred, even though you're like, hey, you know, maybe going to Oklahoma State's going to help him. It's obviously uh, a really good room there in, in Stillwater. But to see him, you know, I'm not going to say transform. The guy was an All-American last year. But to see him wrestle this well right away is... Look at that. He took eighth. Yeah. Like, he, he, he wasn't third or fourth. He had a handful of losses last season. Definitely, definitely has jumped a level. Yep, yep. He's he's really good, really good. Um, that low single he hits, so smooth. He's smooth, and uh, you're in the right place if you like low singles. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So great job by uh, by Olenek, Ramirez. Um, One thing I, I will add, from what I've seen from Messenbrink this season against a lower level of competition than the top tier, I'm not ready to say he's going to challenge Keegan or Carr yet. I'm yeah. not quite putting him up there. Just from, just from eyeball test, that's, that's all I can kind of go on right now. I'm not ready to quite put him there yet. Maybe he could get there. Um, and obviously we'll have a better idea once he, uh, after January, February, once he gets into the Big Ten schedule. But yeah, I'm not quite ready to say title threat yet. No, nor I. Uh, bouncing around, 133, not a ton to talk about here. It's one of the few ways just kind of played out. Um, Kyle Rini was a big favorite here, and he did his job every step of the way. Uh, winning by major in the final yeah. against Frost. Frost had a really good tournament. He's tough for Iowa State. You know, you, he's coming in after his win over Teske. You're like, what's he got? Well, made it to the final. He beat Knox, who... I will say, Frost, his path wasn't too tough because that other quarter, that top but bottom half of the bracket quarter, really got busted up by Knox. I mean, somehow Julian Klebov was the three seed here. I don't, I'm not sh- quite sure how that happened. <laughs> um, well, I know how that happened, but um, yeah, I mean, that with, that can create some disruption. But the the most interesting thing that happened at 133 was Nick Busakis goes down in round one by major to Knox. to Knox of Stanford. And at which point you're like, oh my gosh, Nick Buzakis, what's going on? To the point that I'm going to dunk on him right here, right now. Alia Stone, he <laughs> immediately <laughs> freaked out and he dropped him. He dropped Buzakis from his fantasy team. Yes, he did. He originally added someone that was already on a team. Then he added... Uh, Julian Klebov, after he had lost to Reese Whitcraft, and we're just like making fun of him, like, what are you doing? And then Buzakis goes on an absolute run. He goes, Tech, I'm going to just read it. Uh, tech, Major, Tech, Pin, Pin, and then 4 2 over Zacone for third. So he goes, Ultimate Road Warrior to, to get third place. And, um, Again, similar to Frost, not the toughest path back to third, but that that still shows a lot of mental toughness, a lot of grit. Yeah, so it was so funny, so funny. Um, uh, good question here. Where was from Hyper Darkness? Ooh. That's an aggressive name in the YouTube chat. He said, "Where where was Dayton Fix?" Well, he was in Las Vegas, but tweaked a little something very minor. It sounds like, and uh, they pulled him the day before the event. So. I don't know. Uh, it sounds like nothing to be 
terribly concerned about. Yeah. This uh, this we had potential with both Vito and Fix looming, but we will have to wait. We will have to wait, and wait we will. 41. This was a really, really fun weight class, but it was a weight that I leave thinking it, Jesse Mendez, not just bona fide title contender, but maybe the best guy poised to challenge real woods. Yep. Even more so than, than, a, than a Bartlett. Um, I mean, we were saying, you know, for Hardy, like he's maybe the best guy, the guy with the best chance to, to beat real woods. And he majored him. He beat him 11 to 3. Mendez did. Hardy match Hardy's style matches up better for real because for real. <laughs> for real. Because he, he's so tricky defensively and he's good on bottom so he 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 might get to, if he not get turned like it's going to be a really close match with real and he's good enough to get a takedown on real. So I was like eh, maybe Brock's a better got a better chance at beating real even though I think Jesse might be a better wrestler. But after what he did this weekend, Jesse's just that guy. Yeah. I mean, it, it was so impressive. I mean, and you looked around before. He texts Vince Cornella. 100%. I'll just say right now, going into the match, I was like, this is going to be nip and tuck. It's going to be tight. Mm-hmm. And and maybe I was basing that too much off of the, the Bartlett match. But I was like, man, I just did not think Vince would be scored on like that. 18 to 1. Just all over him. His motion is great. His attacks are so strong. His defense is good. He's really leveled up from the top position. Mendez, he's he is a title contender absolutely this year. And to me, he looks like the number two guy right now. I agree, hundred percent. And I'm giving him a very real shot at defeating Real Woods. Yes, we're gonna say real so many times. <laughs> on accidentally as not puns for his real name. Unfortunately, Iowa and Ohio State do not duel this year, so we'll have to wait until Big Tens. We've got a $2 donation from Hyper Darkness who says calling it now Mendez National Champ. So, you heard it here first from Hyper Darkness who paid 199 to get this comment <laughs> in bright blue. Um, that's a, that's the only sure way to get your comment read in the YouTube chat is donating a minimum 199. You try to throw on there a dollar. I'm not going to read it. I might, but I might not. There's no guarantees. Uh, also, of note, credit to JD. He pointed out that Ryan Jack beats Lachlan McNeil every single time, and that bad is matchup. true again. It's a bad matchup, and Jack beat him again, 4-2. to two. At some point, it, you know, I thought, all right, well, it kind of regressed to the mean a little bit. Lachlan will get one of them. Nope, not this time, at least. So... Jack beats McNeil. McNeil, um, I believe, wrestled back for third. Let me check that out. Uh, yes, he did. He, he did. beat Kill Happel for third. There was a bunch. Dude, there's so much crazy stuff happened in this bracket that I, that I already forgot about. Because Kill Happel beat Brock Hardy 15-13. to 13. And then the round before that, Happel beat Echemendia 9-3. Tagging Jameson from Oklahoma State had a fantastic tournament as well. He beat uh, Limley of Michigan. Then he majored Cornell at not Cornell's day. It, it was not. He was a guy coming in. If you wanted a dark horse title pick, there was definitely some people picking him to to emerge from this bracket. Nah. Eighth. Nope. Eighth place. McNeil beat Jameson, who had a really nice tournament. Um, let me see. Where did Jameson end up fifth? Yep. Yes. He beat 
He beat Hardy. Did so they wrestle that match? Hardy got, yeah, he majored him. Oof. So Hardy got majored twice this tournament. Once by Whoa. Tag and Jameson, a freshman. The other by... Is it Tag or Taken? Let's just alternate so we're right half the time. Okay. Uh, I'm, well, Kozak says it, but he also has that Detroit kind of thing going. He goes, Taggin. <laughs> he says Taggin. But Let I us know. not forget, both Ben and CP picked A1 Hardy to win this bracket. Well, I won J.D. Raider picked Jesse Mendez. And I wish we could verify if that was the case. There's unfortunately... J.D. actually picked Mendez over Jack. That's good. That's really good. Because um, I think that w- this was a harder weight to predict, I think. Before, you know, after it happens, it's easier to pick Jesse Mendez. But coming into it... I will say I did not have him uh, bonusing his way to the finals and then a pretty dominant performance in the finals as well. It, it was 5-2. to two. It mm-hmm. was closer, but it felt like that was Jesse's was, match start to finish. He was in control the whole way. Um, so good job from, from Mendez and good job from J.D. Raider. He correctly predicted this weight. Another weight with correct predictions, but if you ask Ridge Lovett, he thinks he got some <laughs> hate from the FR. I saw Spade does this interview with Ridge, and he's like, man, Ridge is, Ridge is kind of fired up about FRL. I was like, really? I was like, why? And then I was like, I was like, okay. I mean, things, you know, we say a lot in an hour and a half show. I was like, wait a second. I know I picked Ridge to win this tournament. I'm pretty Did sure I hints it. And then I went back and listened. Um, but first, let's hear from Ridge. Then we'll hear FRL, and then we'll say, Ridge, it's all love. Let's hear it. Too, so they know uh, what you're capable of. But Absolutely. I want to give you any last words or any last thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to listen to FRL to give me motivation. Like these guys don't think I'm gonna win. All right, Ben Askren, that's my guy. He he likes me. I like Ben, but you know. It's- Go. I'll take Ridge <laughs> over Henson. Yeah, man. Yeah. I feel. Fairly confident about Henson making it to the semi with Parco. Mm-hmm. I am going Henson to make the final. And then, to me, it's a 50-50 match. Really? I think so. I am going to go Ridge, just because he has a slightly better Boom. path. Yeah. But Henson so. comes out not in the least a bit surprised. I'm just going Ridge. We love you, Ridge. All respect, no heat with Ridge Lovett. We thought you were going to win. We correctly predicted. Down to the per- your opponent. Uh, I was going to say, 50-50, that was a pretty close call as well because this was in the balance oh, late. Boy. It was. It was, it was absolutely in Oops. the balance. How's, he loves Ben. You know, ben, ben said the same things we did, <laughs> you know. But anyways, Ridge is, is really fun to watch. And, yeah, let's talk about this match because... You had um, Ridge got the beautiful boot scoot takedown. I mean, it's it, Textbook, it yeah. was nasty, Highlight. nasty. And at the end, Henson's coming hard, gets to the single leg, and then Ridge is going dive roll underneath. And then it's this danger scenario where, you know, candidly, the the ref did start the call late. Way late, so it gets challenged, but it still was not enough for the for the danger call. I don't think. I think it was close, but reviewing it, and I've been, um, so just talking to officials a lot, like trying to get really tight on all all the rules. So basically, the way the danger, there is reaction time with danger. So the second ridge is rolling through is not the moment. There's like a reaction time, then there's a danger 
warning, one, two, three. So it's really, they're probably going to have to be on their back four to five seconds before that three-point takedown get, gets called there. I, they started the count late regardless. If you, the, the official's not in position, not anticipating the roll, way late. But Ridge, uh, I think, recovered well enough to, to not give up the takedown. But this is a match where if they wrestle it again, uh, it, I, I think it probably is potentially a coin flip match. But the, the X factor that Ridge has, if he's, if he's going even on his feet with anyone, yep. he's so good on top. You can't, you really, he's like, you should not go under him. Which is why it was smart in the third, Henson didn't, he chose neutral, no. which Arizona State should have taken note in the next match. We can get to that, but I just want to point out, it, it was smart that Virginia Tech took neutral in the third. What, what, Arizona State? Teamer. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was wild. That was wild. Um, before we before we move to 57, um, just want to call out any other things that happened. So we had Swiderski had this crazy, crazy... Go back and watch the Abbas-Swiderski round of 16 match. It is crazy. Swiderski gets the first takedown. Seven-pointer for Abbas. Then... Swiderski battles back, gets a late takedown to win at 14-11. Just an awesome match from both guys. Both guys wrestled really hard. Swiderski just had it at the end. Um, Swiderski right now, he's going to have trouble matching, you know, the top four-ish guys. Probably he's not quite on that tier yet. But my goodness, is he fun to watch. He's really fun. He's, he's tenacious. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to enjoy his career, enjoy him up at 149. But... Even still, as as good as uh, a tournament he had, um, what did what did he end up placing? Fifth. He lost Fifth. thirteen to ten to D'Amelio in the Conti semis. I, I need to go back and watch that. And that's the other thing about this tournament. There's so much wrestling, and there's so much relevant good wrestling. You know, the backs. You know, I'm I'm you know calling the quarters, calling the semis, calling the finals. So you really have to be just like really focused on the top side. But there was just chaos going on on the backside, the start to finish, and um, yeah, that's a g- great example of one of the matches you got to go back and and watch. Also, back to one forty one. I don't know if we gave Kill Happel enough uh, props for coming back on the backside. For uh, how fourth. early did he lose? Uh, quarters. Yeah, he lost to Jack in the quarters. Yeah. Yep, and, and then came came back for a third through pretty tough path. So. Yeah, so Caleb, um, back to that final match with Ridge. Ridge gets a takedown a minute and a half in and rides him out the entire first period and was really not um, not close to getting away with Henson. Henson did do a good job of riding the riding time off, but wasn't, wasn't enough. And that's, that's the thing. So he got the takedown against him, but with Ridge and his mat game, you really are probably going to have to out takedown him two to one. Yep, Henson Henson was game. You come away from that match going, okay. There's a path to victory for me. There's takeaways from this. I can beat Ridge. Love it. Ridge is still the guy until proven otherwise. Um, we'll get Ridge Love versus Van Ness. I forget when they duel, but they do. Penn State and Nebraska do duel this year, so we'll get that one maybe three times. That's going to be a crazy one. Um. And to me, it feels like those are the big three at 149 right now. Mm-hmm. It's Ridge, it's Caleb, it's Van Ness. Van Ness has the win over Henson from last year at NCAAs, I believe. So, is it Parco 
Tier 2 Island? Possibly, yeah. Because, what, Arrington's probably the next guy after that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think I don't see him running those guys down. Um, Henson beat Parco. After, but after, yeah, and Van Ness beat Parco at All-Star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like maybe he, he, he could, on the right day, get one of those guys. But I think he can get one of them. I I just think to be two of them, mm-hmm. like a semis and a finals. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Yes, very tough. So great performance from Ridge. Love it. All love from the FRL. I, I'm surprised you listen to FRL. Um, I don't think many athletes do, but if you do, Ridge, we we appreciate your your uh, listenership, and we are nothing if not fans. One fifty seven. This is, needs its own show, but. Starting at the the first word goes to Peyton Rob, who, you know, going through what he went through last year after NCAs, really during NCAs, almost loses his leg, has this quasi life threatening flesh eating disease on his leg. You're like, oh man, is is he going to wrestle again? And for him to be fully back recovered right away, and then to do what he did at this field. It's it's inspiring, and it also puts you right back, reminds you, this was the number one guy almost the entire last year. He lost a tight one in Very the Big Ten, final, Big Ten Finals. Then he had a flesh-eating disease during NCAAs that we didn't realize. They didn't realize until, like, after. Um, so, yeah, he's obviously a title contender. There's, there's maybe a case that, hey, should we be calling him the favorite? I think it, that's, that distinction still belongs to Levi Haynes until, you know, he knocks him out. As you mentioned, there's a Nebraska-Penn State duel. That's going to be really two the, – the title contending order is going to be, you know, determined there at 49 and 57. And to an extent, you know, former 141, we would have said, had Hardy not just had the tournament he had. So that's going to be an amazing and important duel when it ultimately happens. February 18th. When that one happens at and Penn State, yes. So we're gonna want to be watching that one. Rob goes through uh, Swenson 10-0. Swenson, <coughs> Swenson's tough round of twelve or last year for South Dakota State. He beats Will Lewan eight to two, handing oh. <laughs> Will Lewan what has to be like one of the most lopsided losses in his ca- career. Also, he had never beaten Will Lewan. I know this because Tyler Meisinger told us this. No less, let us know. <laughs> no less than 15 times coming into this tournament. Well, now he can't say that. Rob gets by Will Luan. And then against Ja'Cory Teamer, it was, it was really sort of obvious. I mean, I said it on the call. You, you get kind of my instant thoughts. He should not go under. Pey- Peyton Rob rode him really tough for like 90 seconds at the end of the first. And, you know, you feel feels like Ja'Cory can go even on his feet with, with Peyton Rob, but he goes under and he gets ridden out and then the match is over. Um, that was that was a surprise. Yeah, I, I don't think that was the right call by according to the Arizona State staff. And to go back to Peyton, I feel like he doesn't maybe get enough props on the on the national scene recognition from maybe casual fans because he doesn't do anything He's a super well. Lunch pail guy. Yep. Hard hat lunch pail guy. He, he doesn't uh, get the flashy turns, but he'll ride you tough. He doesn't get the flashy ankle pick takedown. Um, but he, 
there's just no holes no in his holes. game. He's all around tough. It's just so he doesn't get the credit. I feel like he deserves a lot, but um, I don't, unfortunately, unfortunately for him, with um, you know his leg situation last year, I feel like he finally is getting a lot of respect. For sure, and. Man, thinking about, so Ja'Cory comes out and gets a really awesome first takedown, just really hipped in hard and countered um, Peyton Rob really well. And then Rob digs those double underhooks, and he gets to a body lock. It looks like he gets to a body lock. And I was surprised ja- to see Ja'Cory go for Ja'Cory just sold out for it. Um, and I think that's just kind of a, a little bit of, that's what you get with Ja'Cory sometimes. He's a, he's fearless, and he's going to try some risky stuff. And But he pays a price. He gives up a takedown at 140. And he gets ridden the entire remainder of the first period. And I was just so surprised to see him go underneath um, to start the third. And that, I won't say that lost him the match, but it didn't put him position to, his best position to win. For sure. So Rob ends up winning that. But the story, the other story, the big story coming into this was Meyer Shapiro. And... Obviously, I've talked a ton about Meyer and his prospects coming into this year. And he gets we get this crazy round of 16 matchup just because of the seeding. And Meyer doesn't have a lot of ranking criteria yet for a, a good seed. He ends up getting Bryce Andonian round two in the round of 16. And he majors Bryce Andonian. He gets all these takedowns. I think he had some turns. And you're like, all right, he's, he's obviously for real, for real, right? We knew he was. And then... That sort of cemented it. And then his next round match against Daniel Cardenas, he gives up that early takedown, and he just didn't have the, the answers on his feet, and he really spent a lot of time underneath. I felt like looking for reversals. He was mm-hmm. trying to get rolls and get, get on top instead of just kind of coming out and, and working from his feet some more. And it seemed like some of those, he really kind of spent himself a little bit too. I, I seemed to seemed like he got a little bit fatigued during that match. A little physically, probably, I think, just as much mentally, emotionally. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think this is just a different... For Meyer, he's wrestled on these huge stages internationally and freestyle, but this is a different sort of thing. And when you think about elite folk-style tournaments that he's entered, you know, he, I, I don't recall him wrestling in a lot of Super 32s, you know, or the... Or the um, I can't even recall an Ironman. So... And those are obviously high school tournaments, right? You know, this is his first big college test. And, you know, that just shows the difficulty of navigating a tournament. It's like you just got to do it again and again and again. And at this level, um, he loses that match to Cardenas, which, you know, kind of piggybacks on the on the Stanford uh, momentum. But then he loses to Trevor Chumbly 2-1 to one in a match where he gets injured. He has to take injury time. Gives up choice there. Gives up two escapes to one. He loses two to one to Chumbley. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, uh, at the journeyman event, he has to take injury time as well. Neither one appeared super serious, but just something to make a note of. Keep an eye on. Yes. And okay. so the the question after this, you know, I, I picked, you know, Meyer, you know, as an NCAA champion this year. And now it's like, well, is that... I'm not ready to listen. You don't put, you don't have that perspective and then get completely derailed after one tournament. But the brakes are pumping a little bit. You're not coming to a halt. I'm not speeding up. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> faster. I'm like, okay, we'll keep. How it. much faster did you start going after the Andonian match? Though? Oh, I was I was already <laughs> redlining. 
<laughs> you were on the Autobot. I was going Mach 5, <laughs> you know? And then, but, you know, Andonian is such a weird data point because just look at his tournament. You know, he lost that match, but he wrestled back for fourth. He, and then he gets majored by Ed Scott, a guy who he's previously majored himself. Space Mountain, baby. He is a Space Mountain guy. He actually sure. normally doesn't lose, though, for how Space Mountain he can be. He doesn't really lose to guys below his level. No. No, so... Ed Scott's the only one that really gives him trouble, but Ed Scott's just really good, too. Yeah, Ed's not... You know, Ed's an All-American guy as well. So, yeah, I mean, for Meyer, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not I'm not selling. I still think he's good from everywhere. I think he's good on his feet. I think he's got it, but this will be... Uh, it'll be eye-opening, I think, for him, for him as well. But not selling, but brakes are pumped. Uh... Cornell versus Iowa State in Nashville coming up here. Okay. That'll be Myers' next match. Cody Chittum. Cody Chittum. That's a good one. <laughs> We've always wanted to see this match, too. It's just they never they never hit in high school. And Chittum, that's that's the thing with these tournaments. Like you can wrestle not that badly and come up empty. He lost a tight one to Cardenas. Very tight. Nine eight. He gave up a seven pointer. And he's charging back, but just not enough. And then <laughs> Excuse me, my apologies. Uh, they wrestled Iowa State the last duel of that day. So he'll have Little Rock and Pittsburgh first. And okay. then Iowa State. So he'll have some tests there and then before he wrestles at Iowa State. Now, um, Chittum, as I mentioned, he loses that tight one to Cardenas, who's a beast. And then he's got Andonian, I think his first or second wrestle back. And Andonian was just in full Andonian mode trying these crazy throws. And he ends up bombing him to his back and pins him. And then, just like that, Chittum's tournament's over. He goes, like, 2-2. Two and two, And his losses are to Bryce Andonian and uh, Daniel Cardenas. Just tough. Brutal tournament. Brutal tournament. Looking at Conrad's schedule here, too. Uh, January 7th, Andonian rematch. Mm. So that'll be another one to circle. Brock Mahler on the 28th. Another good one. And then Ed Scott, February 16th. So he'll have opportunities to kind of get back mm-hmm. we're gonna get some more data on him yes yes for sure but yeah this was this this tournament or 57 sort of lived up to what we thought it could be really chaotic a lot of high level wrestling and uh but ultimately the top two seeds win and the one seed won in a in a, <laughs> in a bracket of so much talent the top two guys remain top two and rob leaves your champion and ow I think deservedly so. Yeah, and, that, that was and, the weight of weights coming in. And that's the thing. And, and there was a little bit like, oh, this is just because he went through what he went through. No, I don't think it's that. I think this was the weight, and he won it. And he won it, you know, I would, I would say emphatically, right? Like, he didn't, he didn't kill Ja'Cory, but he won. He, you know, he oh. was dominant in this semi. He won pretty decisively in, the, in that final. I think he kind of left no doubt. Can we rewind the tape, though? All the way back to preseason, when I said Ja'Cory's a title threat, which I still think he is, mm-hmm. and you and Ben poo-pooed me. Ah. Uh, because I, I said, oh, he's going to come after you, and he did. <laughs> I mean, you know, he didn't He didn't want a title yet. He hasn't made a final. He hasn't made an NCAA semi. Let's, let's, yeah, let's see. Peyton, well, Peyton Rob made a semi, but he Peyton Rob doesn't want a title yet either. And if Ja'Cory just picks neutral there, I know. It's it, c- completely different ballgame. This was their CKLV Game plan, their NCAA game plan. 100%. They go neutral, uh, I feel. That's why 
uh, I think it, it's Peyton Rob is a deservedly big favorite if and when they rematch. But with the right tactics, Ja'Cory can win. Bro, honestly, <laughs> don't try to double overthrow when he body locks you. Like you, you figure Ja'Cory could just back his butt out of. He could have backed straight out of bounds there. I would take assume. that stall. Giving up a stall there is obviously better than three point take. Yeah, and then you know don't then. You don't worry about that 90 seconds of riding time, and then you don't have to worry about the, you know. Anyway, but yeah, that's a match where tactically it could be wrestling. That match should be the data point to kill Auto Bottom forever in college wrestling. It just, now with the three-point takedown, it doesn't make sense. I was harping on it before mm-hmm. the, the three-point takedown was the thing, especially now if, you, if it's even or you have an advantage, especially on the feet, neutral. That was the, and we were talking about that a bunch after Iowa, Iowa State, like, Felkamp, why don't you take top? Uh, Real Woods, why don't you take top? Like, this is your position of advantage, and you're not putting yourself there. You're not letting yourself be there because you want one point for an escape. That's what you're, that's what you're pursuing? What? I don't get it. It's one point. A takedown is three, near falls four. If you're really good on your, uh, on, uh, on top, I think you should go there. And yeah, auto bottom remains sort of concerning for me, especially these guys are really hard to get away from a lot of them. We talked about 65, pretty uh, involved already. Was there anything else we want to touch on? I think we got one. I think, think we got it. Nailed it. 74. Cade DeVos, great tournament. Man, I was I was really impressed with him. All tournament long, he beats Harchla. 515, stand up. That's right. Everyone knows that <laughs> area code. Central Iowa. Central Iowa. He uh, he beats Harshal in the semi, really smooth reattacks, and then he takes out Whitlake in a in a nine seven final. Um, I, I I was impressed. There's a lot of guys that that caught my eye in this tournament. For one, Danny Walsk of Navy was really tight with Whitlake. He got the first takedown, I believe, made things really tough for Travis um, before losing nine to eight. They're really tight, and then. He ends up getting fourth, losing to Harchla 10 to 3. Danny Wask, I think, won an Ironman title his senior year a couple years ago. New Jersey kid, player, really tough, big recruit for Navy. Obviously, yeah. uh, kind of a, a breakout performance for him on the college stage. Yes. And the, the, the DeVos Harchla match, that semifinal, was pretty wild. That one's definitely worth going back and, and rewatching. Just, just a back and forth match. match. Um, Hartshaw, it feels like, at times ha- has trouble winning those really nip-and-tuck yeah. tough matches. It does, yeah. I, I kind of feel... Yeah, how did the last... Last takedown was just, I think, a reattack from DeVos mm-hmm. that that took it. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. Wask and Norman had a really competitive quarter, I want to say, where it was 5-0 Wask, but Norman was like almost takedown, almost takedown. Just could not plan him, and Wask ends up winning that one. But Norman's going to be a guy to watch for over the years for Stanford. He's a, a true freshman. True freshman. I'll, there's a lot to work with there. He can really get to legs. Um, you can tell he's he's kind of tough from everywhere. He's got some improving to do for sure, but you're, you're going to want to keep an eye on him, and especially, man, if this is Stanford now, I mean, they're going to be they're going to be a Really fun team to, to follow. Absolutely. 
So yeah, good job uh, by DeVos to get the title there for the Jackrabbits. He now, you know, how high does he climb at 174 after this tournament? You know, you've got you got Carter, obviously, you've got Mackay. Is he does he slide into that third spot? I don't know. You still got guys like Peyton Mako. I don't know, man. Mako lost to Adam Kemp. He was in this tournament. It's DeVos true. won. I'm saying it That's right true. now. Kate DeVos, number three. Griffith was here. He Probably, lost. To, yeah. He lost to Norman. Forfeited out. Number four was Hartshla. He beat straight up. He's number three until proven otherwise. That's what I'll stamp. I gotta, I gotta look closer at the resumes, but yeah, I think you might be right. Peyton Michael did have a, have a good weekend as well. He he put it on Piccolo. Side note. But okay. Tech fallen. Wow. Yeah. One eighty four was another really great weight class here. Um, you had. We'll, we'll start with the champion, Parker Kekeisen, looked awesome the whole way through. Uh, I think Tyler said it best. He's like, he wrestles like every coach wants you to wrestle. Like, <laughs> yes. so hard, so intense the whole time, attacking a lot, good from everywhere. Parker really is a tree, and he did not really have a competitive match the whole time. He had an 8-4 with Pinto, which is probably his closest, and Pinto was kind of a story. This tournament, I thought he... Those two will get a run back um, early January. What's that? goes to Nebraska. Okay. So. A little uh, conference, January action. That'll be that'll be funny. Or fun, excuse me. Kekheisen looked great over Feldkamp, who had a good tournament to make the final. We saw... This was a... I mean, I can't believe the tournament um, that the FOCA had. You know, losing to Sam Wolf, and then in the hey, console... Something's got to be like up with something's, him, right? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of my thought, and you know, it that's always a tough thing to say because it's like you're just taking credit away from the guys that, that did it. But man, I don't, it just seems so out of alignment with what we've seen from Froka. He lost to, and I get it, it's a new weight class, but like I zero off of Columbia after that. I mean, that's that's, that's surprising. So, don't know what's up with Foca. I mean, he was someone when he went up to 84, I was like, okay. It's, you know, there's Parker, there's Bernie, there's Foca. I think all those guys could win a title. Yeah. And I was, this, especially after um, All-Star, it was like, Foca might, might be the guy to knock Parker off. Yeah, I'm going from, from Mach 5 to Cruise Control on Foca. <laughs> two, two, two big red guys I was in, you know, flying high. Kekheisen, the clear favorite to win this weight at this point. Um and Dustin Plot had a big win over, or excuse me, Pinto had a big win over Dustin Plot. A crazy match there where Plot was kind of in control and ends up losing it late. And then, but then Plot got him for Plot, third. Plot twist. <laughs> he wins for third. Sam Wolf had the, the initial upset over. Uh, hey, Sam Wolf's tough. He had the initial upset over, over Foca. But really, it, it was, you know. The, the story here was Parker and how how great he looked throughout. Um, Feldkamp put the pin of the tournament in the quarters over Munoz. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was so, so crazy. Like, for, if you're Munoz, you're like, you're not just in on a shot. You are in all the way. Hips are in completely. And Feldkamp is uncanny. He's a little tall. And he can keep his feet on the mat. That's his big thing. He does not, he'll get up on his tippy toes, but you can't lift him easily. Yep. And so he just kind of gets up, he gets the chin, underhook, and then 
kind of yeets him right to his back, elevator style, like kind of like Dylan Ness, but not really. It's actually like how Jason Nolf got Imar. It's, a, it's a kind of a deep, <laughs> kind of a deep, deep cut. cut because it was the best two out of three world team trials in at North Carolina State in like 2019. But Imar was about to win the second match, and then Nolf hits this crazy four pointer to take. Imar threw and win by criteria to force the third match, but then Imar won that one. But anyway, it's kind of like that. Uh, and Feldkamp pins Munoz, and he was just packed as can be. And good bounce back from Feldkamp after losing to Gabe Arnold, um, yep. make, making the finals here before dropping 14-4 to four to Parker Keckheisen. Mm-hmm. Okay, 84 was great, 197, moving on. It was the Trent Hydley show. You know, coming into this, I, I kind of felt Trent was the number two guy at this weight class behind Aaron Brooks. Or I think we even said he's the guy that can challenge Aaron. If anyone can, it's probably him. And I feel like this tournament sort of proved that. He still impressed me, especially in the semifinals, oh majoring Cardenas right after Cardenas teched Allred. That was a crazy one because Cardenas and... You know, I'm going into that match probably slight lean for Allred. And then Cardenas just, he double eggs him, he turns him, reattacks him. And so then going into Trent, or his match with Trent, his semifinal Trent, I was like, okay, coming into this, I was circling that as one to watch, but mm-hmm. Trent's definitely going to win this or not. And then after that, I was kind of like, maybe this is kind of a thing? Not a thing. Not a thing. Trent is so low and holds such good position, like, he, you're not going to reattack Trent because his attacks aren't really reattackable. Eat this underhook. Yeah, it's like eat this. Pull you up. Exactly. He's not going to fire like a, a, you know, an errant single leg. And then Cardenas, he was kind. He's kind of threaded through that. So once Trent got going with his underhooks, there was really no opportunity for him. So he wins ten two there, and then a controlled five two over Jackson Smith, where, you know, these. It's interesting. You got a guy like Trent who brings guys to the edge and brings guys to the edge. It's like the 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 mat and the boundary. If the official is on it right away, he can get some early stall calls on mm-hmm. guys that aren't. You've got to stay in the boundary, and I think that's how it should be. You know, I saw some weird push out stalls, but by and large, the the calls were consistent. If you're bringing the guy to the edge, then if you back to the edge, I think no matter what the action is. Like, you should, you should probably get hit. get hit for stalling, right? Because, like, sometimes they'll do a, a little bit of something to sort of pretend they're trying to work back in. But you made it so that you got yourself to the edge. So you've got to kind of eat it if, the, if you get hit one for stalling there. So I thought that was appropriately called. A little under-the-radar pr- freshman performance by Sonny Sasso, who took sixth here. Beat the GOAT, Nick Stemmett. He did. He did. Um, he beat a couple ranked guys, I think. For, for this tournament. So good showing by Sonny. And, you know, Andy Smith may be dealing with a little bit of an injury. I'm, I'm curious if they consider using Sonny this year. This is kind of a, you can tell they're, they're eyeing. Um, They're going to test in the waters mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm, for sure. So he beat Hopkins, and then Cerber forfeited out. Then he beat Stimmett. So I, I don't think it's enough to say, you got to use him. Yeah. But it's something to say, all right, till the next time, you know, this is... Maybe toss him out in a good duel, mm-hmm. a good ACC duel against a solid opponent. Yep. Pass that test. 
roll with it. Completely agree there. Good, good showing by him. Great showing from Trent Hidley. Um, as the Wolfpack had two champions, he and good Kai, performance Kai by Lee. Jackson Smith. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dude, we even I, talked I know about everybody's. That. Uh, he's not under the radar, but still, I wasn't all the way in on him. Maybe, but then when he beat Sloan eight to two, I was kind of like, okay, I, I've been dragging my heels a little bit, but mm-hmm. I'm hopping on board. On dragging, get on the turp shell. Uh, he it, for Sloan, you know, you go back if you're thinking about that match, like got to finish your leg attacks. You finish those leg attacks early. Could be a different match. But it's... Uh, and we've seen Jackson hit this return, this lift and return. He's really good with it. And he gets to it there. Goes elbow deep, lift, and kind of claw. And then once he gets in the air, pulls you to your back. And uh, at that point, he, he... I think he was up eight or so. Seven or eight. And uh, you're like, all right, he's really in the driver's seat now. And Ultimately, that was the difference. Tanner Sloan did well to, I think, pretty sure he, he wrestled back for third uh, in a pretty good weight. I'm looking, I wanted to relook at the all red path back. Yeah, Sloan majored all red 12 to 1. So, not the best start to the year for Silas. Not that that's an upset. Sloan's favored there. But um, if you get a volume of, of rank match, top 10 match, you, you want to see you get one of them. Yep. And, Silas wasn't able to do so. And then Sloan beat Cardenas 7-2. to two. Um, After we're saying, man, Cardenas, holy cow. You look, a big thing with Cardenas that I think you see him hit some of these moves. You see him put up these guys' scores. But then you just look at the guy. You're like, oh, yeah, there is so much to work with. This guy, he's really big. He's got these long arms. He's like jacked. You're like, this guy can go with a lot of guys. But at the end of it, the... There was some still still decent separation there. Sloan beats him 7-2. Trent does what he does. And uh, Cardenas finishes fourth. An All-American contender, yes, but not yep. someone that's climbing the ladder much beyond that. Yep, agree. Heavyweight was the younger show start to finish. He's one of my favorite guys in America to watch. And he was our pick coming in. Yep. I felt pretty good about it, even though it was his first real, real tough test. They were heavyweight. nervous. Yep. But Even during the, ma- during the match, too. Younger was getting into his attacks, but it, it was still like Davidson being tricky with those leg passes that Younger obviously hasn't spent as much time in those positions as Davidson has, who's been training folk style yeah. his entire life. But This was like kind of the exchange. Tyler's got it pulled up here. This was the, the jaw-dropping moment of the match. Even though it didn't result in points, this carry where he picks up Lucas all the way. And then we have this little dive roll from Davison, which was impressive in its own right. But Younger um, ends up winning this match. He gets that takedown late to, to beat Davison 5-3. to three. My favorite part about uh, that exchange and Younger picking him up is that he wasn't even grabbing tricep or elbow. He literally just, with like nothing, stood up. <laughs> stood up. And was like, oh, you're going over now. I think he's strong enough for the weight class. He had a crazy win, not a crazy win, but like his win over Feldman, he hits the the same counter three times. Feldman got in so deep on his single leg, not just like in, in, and had the angle all the way behind. And Bastida just goes shin whizzer hard, and then he 360s, does the, as uh, Ben calls it, the Hamlin, spin out, and he scored three times, kind of different ways each time he spun, but ends up getting the score and majors Feldman. 
And for Feldman, he ends up placing six here. He lost to Greece. He lost to Bastida. So not the not a bad performance by Feldman, but if you're thinking, hey, Nick's probably a, a, a contender or someone that can place, he looks like he may be a rung back from that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he is one of those guys, the people below him, he can really put it on. Yes, he's so good on his feet. I think if, you're, if you leave this tournament and you're Nick Feldman, you're, you're his coaches, I think he needs to get a little more selective with some of his attacks. Cause, and, and I'm not just cherry-picking the, the Bastida thing. I think generally it's, he's getting stuck underneath a lot. But when guys are shooting on him, he's really dynamic and really hard to score on. He's fast with his re-attacks. And I think, don't be surprised if we see Feldman getting a little less offensive, a little more positional, setting up for his re-attacks and really well-timed takedowns. And his finishing is going to get better. You know, so many times he's been able to just get in and figure out the finish. Now he's, you know, learning, all right, I'm going to have to run through a couple of different sequences to, to put these guys down. But still a lot to work with there for, for Nick Feldman. 100%. I'm not uh, another pumping brakes. Not selling stock, though, because I yeah. think stock's going to go back up. Throw it in neutral. Yeah. You know, you can save fuel that way, keep the RPMs low, but we're still going. Cruising a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we built up plenty of speed. <laughs> Tay Gadali makes the semi. He beat Treffen, which was a, a, a significant he, win there he, for him. He also teched Feldman on the backside. That's wild. Uh, 20 to 4, I believe. Holy crap. Yeah, Tay is Tay's a good good guy to watch, and he's one where... I'm, I'm, you know, kicking myself in the fantasy draft. He would have been a perfect one, but my uh, arch nemesis, Andy Hamilton, <laughs> took him before well, I could. Andy got his, uh, he was boots on ground in Campbell preseason. We saw a lot of picks that, that correlated with boots on ground. Yes. You know, you guys spent some time in the Carolinas. <laughs> Tyler goes to Virginia Tech to cover their duel. He interviews Andy Smith and immediately drops who he had at 97 and adds Andy <laughs> Smith to his team. It's so funny. Just it's so obvious what's going on. Yeah, it's like, all right, all right, you just like Andy Smith and you want him on your team now. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Younger brings it home for Iowa State. Great performance by him. And he's a big bonus guy. He had a tech in the semi. He had a major against Feldman. Uh, only 11-4 against Jessen, who they almost like kind of fought. He teched Peter Ming of Stanford, who's kind of solid as well. So, big bonus. That's a good guy to have in the tournaments. Those bonus points are, they loom large. He only has two regular decisions um, on the year. Davison and then the, uh, the Jack Jesson. Jesson, which was seven points. Um, shout out Ben Durbin, the Iowa strength coach, because he, he, he got a younger on that bulk job. He's big boy. While still using speed to an advantage in athleticism. Yeah. Still very fast. Let's go, uh, so that's CKLV. Uh, we did it in about an hour and once in seven minutes, so good job by us. Oh, I keep forgetting my computer's off. What? Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> so we, uh, <laughs> we always, we push it a little bit. We come down here like five minutes before the show, and then I look at my, uh, at my clock on my laptop, and it's 829. I was like, JD, it's 829. <laughs> He's like, it's 816. And for some reason, like it's easy for them to get off by a time zone. His is off by 15 minutes. It makes no sense. Makes no sense. But um, normally I kind of gauge my time going down by when JD gets up and then I go. And then, you know, if I'm the adult, <laughs> you know, 
No, I'm very punctual normally, but I just, I don't know. We almost didn't get the show off on time. Tyler was going to start the show, and he was, you were almost subjected to probably 15, 20 minutes of him talking college football. Real tight. Um, Some Patriots talk. Some Patriots <laughs> talk. There's a lot to talk about with the Patriots because they're having quite a year. Um, <laughs> of all the years they're having, this is definitely one of them for, for Bill Belichick. It's a year. Dude, I'm so hyped for this college football. I mean, Texas, you know, I, uh, I jump on the Texas bandwagon with my son this week and go to three games and they make the playoffs. <laughs> this, is, this is tremendous. I, and you think about the long-suffering Texas Longhorn fans over the years. You had the Tom Herman area, era. Okay, well, let's not, it's not that bad. Let's not belittle these Texas Longhorn fans. Yeah. They've had it pretty good. They've had it pretty good. But, you know, for them. A couple tough years. They've had some tough years since uh, Vince Young left and pursued his steakhouse fortune here in Austin. Before we move on, I want to say my Alabama piece. Uh, <laughs> say your piece, Chrissy. All the haters can suck it. Everybody knows <laughs> Everybody knows Alabama is better than Florida State when they don't have their star quarterback. It's literally written in the college football playoff committee's uh, decision process online that they can take um, injuries into effect. They did. Um, Michigan's reaction alone when they found out it was Alabama and not Florida State says all you need to know. And at the end of the day, the college football playoff committee, they openly say we just try to get the best four teams in. It's crazy. Um, like, from a ranking, I thought about this a lot. The college football ranking. playoff committee isn't like a rankings yeah. process. It's who are the best four teams. Yeah. Resume aside, who are the best four? Yeah, for, for sure. And it's that would be such a weird thing if you thought about it for, like, NCAA wrestling purposes. Like, undefeated, power five, and we're like, no, this dude's hurt. You guys aren't that good anymore. And it's brutal, but... Um, I love it because I think it's the four best teams and it's going to be more entertaining. I'm not a Florida State fan, so I don't really care. But if, you're Florida if I was a Florida State fan, I would be livid. Livid. <laughs> livid. Because what, what are you supposed to do? And it's also like, man, so now you're just – this committee is just picking. They're predicting. It's literally their predictions because on paper, Florida State is a, a top four team, right? But nope. You can make the for argument top for four Alabama. resume. You like, can make the, the well. You can make the argument for Alabama and the fact that they beat, they beat the two-time defending national champions who had won twenty-nine straight games and their only loss this season came in week two to somebody who was in the playoff. What gets interesting is if um, and we'll move on. But um, if it's if so ge- much fun to talk if Georgia had won, how does it go? Georgia, Michigan, Washington is. Does Texas get in? Or do they put in Florida well, State? Well, they, they jumped Texas ahead of them in the, uh, like, Texas was three now. Ahead so of Florida State. Ahead of Florida State. Right. So maybe they would have just to keep. I feel like they wouldn't have, though. I, do, I don't think so either. I think but they then they, they were like, oh, well, if we put Bama in, Texas we, has to stay above. Yep. Yeah. It was fun. It was a fun little rankings dilemma for these guys. But it's not rankings. It's their predictions, basically. And, um, you could also be extreme that if you're Ohio State. Because they went undefeated but only lost to the number one team, mm-hmm. Michigan now, not Georgia, who is now number five. Yeah. It's not – yeah. it's a. It's, but now next year it will be top 12, and that's going to be so lit. Hot take. I actually think 12 is too many. That's way too many. I think eight. Because you don't get weeks like this where everything hinges mm-hmm. on this. You don't – now if Alabama and Georgia SEC championship next year, who really cares? Like, they're both going to get into the playoff. Yeah. Like, the, the – there's so much less on that game now. There's home field advantage. 
So you get obviously seeds, better path. It still matters, but you don't get the chaos of last week yeah. when you have a 12-team playoff. For sure. Uh, question from Randy Goldsworthy in the Facebook chat. You can you can get comments for free on Facebook, uh, <laughs> but YouTube you got to pay to play, baby. Um, I think Younger is. Uh, I think it's Greg, and then like Wyatt Younger to me right now after you know, Wyatt's not healthy, guys. And is he going to be healthy? Is he going to get healthy? I hope so. I think so, but I don't know so. And. What Younger can do on his feet is, it's up there with anyone. And while we did see Greg dominate Wyatt, and that was an eye-opening, jaw-dropping moment, you look at the rest of Greg's year, and he's winning, he's winning easily, but he's having decisions against you know, the, a Nathan Taylor or a Treffin. So he's not gonna be blitzkrieging through this entire tournament. It's like, um, you know, he, he's gonna have some closer matches. Now, the thing for Younger is the mat. And Greg is so good on top, and he's such a good rider. Now, Younger has to to win the takedown advantage. Younger has eliminated worries against 95% Mm -hmm. of the country on the mat. It's really not a factor anymore, except against maybe still that top-tier guy. A guy like Wyatt, who's a pinner. Yeah. that, That gives you a little worry. And a guy like Greg, who has developed his mat game enough to where he can... How much running time did he have against Wyatt? A lot. I mean, yeah. that's how he won the match. And, and that's, that's my thing with... It's not about, oh, he's new to folk style. It's, it's not about that. It's that Wyatt, or Greg is just that good on top. Yes. He, he rode Wyatt. That's how he won. Wyatt had the only takedown in that match. But Greg reversed him, rode him, rode him, and, and made the finals. So that is why I'm bringing that up. And so I don't, I'm not putting, I'm not saying he can go with Greg, but I think if Younger's wrestling for third, I'm not surprised. If he's wrestling in the semis against Wyatt and he's in that match, I'm not, I'm not surprised because he just, he's that guy on his feet. He is that good from neutral. Okay. Now we, we should get move. to PSU Lehigh. We have to because. People are calling for it. Yes. I've been wanting to talk about this. The Crookham Nagal match was great. We were excited for this one. It, it worked out perfectly. Flew home, drove in, hugged the kids and the wife. Boom! Put on the <laughs> put, Big Ten right, right back to wrestling, and uh, got to watch that match. And you know the way it started early. Nagal was aggressive. He was firing. He got that stall warning. I thought a deserved stall warning against Crookham. And then they go into the first period scoreless, but Nagal's firing and getting in and. The scrambles from Crookham were good enough to stop takedowns, but you weren't like, oh, he's about to score. Except for that second, um, he did fire off a good attack late in the first, did Crookham, but ran out of time on the finish. And then he gets in deep on the other leg, does Crookham, finishes, escape Nagao, and then Nagao gets in deep once more, and we see that tricky counter ability, and it's that weird feel that, that Ryan Crookham gives guys and a counter score for Crookham and it's six one after two. Yep. Uh Nagao clearly had the advantage on top. Um I was I was interested to see what his choice was gonna be in the third. Six to one or six to two? I guess it was two. Six he, to two at the time. 
two escapes, right? Oh, yeah, because Nagao took bottom and got yes. away. So 6-2 after two things. 6-2. So, you know he has the advantage probably in the mat game. Do you want to test the waters and see if you can get out? You think you have the advantage on the mat, but if Nagao gets a takedown, then it's 6-5. It's an interesting dilemma. It was the right choice, though, because he ultimately he won, and you can stall a little bit from bottom, yeah. as long as you feel like you can't get turned, which he obviously didn't. Yeah, that that. so going into the third, I was like, oh, you take neutral here for sure. And, and Santoro, you can see on the call, he's like this, and then he kind of points, he's like, yeah, up to you. And then so Crookham goes under, and I think the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, that makes sense, because if you're like, Nagao is really good on top, but what stood out about him over the, the he's he is a good turner but he is just a good rider he's a really good he holds guys down he's, he's really, really tough good to at get getting with. those boots in yes um, double boots and flattening guys out it could be tough to turn really good guys from there though yeah and i think that was what crookham was thinking he's like one i'm up by i'm up by four you think though you give up one four point turn and riding time and then you lose and then you look really dumb taking down. Yeah, but I think that's just Crookham has, he's confident, like, I'm not getting turned here. I think that's, when you go down, you're like, this guy can't turn me. And that was the case. He was never in any danger of getting never, turned. Never, never close. And the, so it ends up coming stall point in the third and the riding time point. So it's a 6-4 final, unconventional path to 6-4. But for Crookham, he passes another test. You know, and now he's beating McGonagall, his teammate. He's beating Vito. He's beating Nagao. And really sort of cementing himself as that number one guy. The the question now turns to Dayton Fix. Will I think that's the next duel for Lehigh. And that's a match I really want to see. And I think when you think about that matchup, is he going to be able to counterscore Dayton? I'm not as sure. Is Dayton going to fire that willingly? You know, that's something we don't always see. With Dayton's scores... Will he try to hit a scoot? Will he hit a pass by? I don't see him firing a single leg and trying to figure out a finish against Crookham. This definitely could be a 2-0 to zero match in favor of Dayton, an escape, and a riding time point. Yes. Um, when is that duel wrestling schedule? I'm pulling it up here real quick. January? I thought it was sooner. Um, let me look. Yeah, December 8th. Oh, my goodness. That's four days. Bro, that's Friday, bro. Is Dayton going to wrestle? Oh, boy. He didn't wrestle last week. Uh, that would be a bummer if not, because that's such a that's a great match, and I think it's going to be really low scoring. Um, and because even for Crookham, he gets in, but he's not he's not this uh, rapid finisher. He's not blowing through on doubles. He's like get in and then try to you know steps over the ankle. Kind of elongated finish. Pop his head up. And yeah. with with Dayton, he's just a really tough guy. If you don't. If you don't get it right away, he's tough to score. So I think Dayton matches up pretty well against him. This is another huge test. And, um, you know, Dayton can go to number one if he if he beats Crookham. So I hope we do see that match because I think it'll be a great one. I do too. Okay. Uh, otherwise, in the Penn State match, nothing super notable other than we didn't see Shane Van Ness. They used Kasek, who – am I misremembering or did – did he not wrestle at 141 this year earlier? I'm pretty sure he did. Um, at the... Black Knight? Yeah. I'm almost positive he did. I'm looking it up right now. Um, but he, he, did a, he did a good job wrestling against Lehigh. Ended up getting the win there. Uh, 
filling in. And yeah, he he did wrestle one forty one. I thought so. Black so he bumps up and ends up wrestling. I don't know what that you know. Penn State doesn't do a lot of like scheduled rest maintenance type of stuff for their guys, so I don't know why Shane was out. I think nothing followed up about Brooks. It sounds like nothing there. Just uh, um, it was sort of scheduled for him to not wrestle. The pl plan all along was for him to not wrestle this dual meet. It sounded like. I was really bummed we didn't get to see Braden Davis at 125 versus Seymour. That was going to be a good match. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it was just a, hey, we might still redshirt this guy. So this isn't um, a time that we want to use him. Yeah, so th that probably is it. They can kick down their five uses of Braden, and I think if they don't see a real need or a really important test, you know, you hang on to that so you can save it for Big Ten season. Like they did, remember, Levi Haynes was in red shirt until January, February. It was like the Michigan duel or Iowa duel before it was like, Okay, Levi is our guy. He's going. He's our 57. So, not that Braden is probably going to have a, a Levi type of, of season, but that's how they're kind of handling their true freshman. At least that's how they did last he's year. He's clearly emerged as probably the best option at yes. 125. And, and but is he worth using him as a true freshman? I think absolutely, because Lilladal's coming in. Like, they've got to start getting these eligibility years mm -hmm. out, you know? I, I think you use Braden here. If he's, if he's your best guy, and right now he is, I think ultimately he will be the guy, but I just think it's not a declaration they're going to make, you know, December 5th. And I don't think they necessarily think about this, uh, like Kale, Casey, Cody, but they got a shot at, like, legitimately setting the point record at NCAs this year. So even yeah. if you're like, oh, Braden might not All-American this year, but he can maybe score a point or two. He gets four <laughs> points. That could be, you know, that could be something. I, I, I... They'll never admit it, but that's got to be something that they're... When you've won 10, it's like, all right, what... You know, we could... We what's could the next barrier we can break? Yeah, what's something else that can, like, cement this as the number one dynasty in wrestling history? Well, you get the point record. And this is a team that can do it. It's 170. And we had a question about that before we uh, go. Let me see if I can find it quickly. But um, I think it was one of the first ones I put in. We had a lot of questions, so a lot of these will get carried over because... Man, the CKLV breakdown ended up taking uh, a lot of time. I'm wondering how, how much Ben's going to want to talk about it on Wednesday because, man, where is it? I know I put it in there. Darn it. Um, but anyway, basically, you know, with the, with the new takedown rules, bonus is more attainable. New near fall rules, bonus is more attainable. Does that put an asterisk if Penn State gets the um the team record it sort of depends right because you, you have to see how they do it if and i think no is, is kind of the answer but if they get, don't think we'll be thinking about it if and. they it's one thing where if they get 170.5 points we're gonna say okay well four point near fall and three point takedowns contributed to this and it wouldn't be the case that and that's fair if you're that's fair to that Iowa 1997 team that had two-point takedowns and three-point max near fall. That should be mentioned. But if they, if they end up, you know, more than clearing that bar, then, you know, you, it's, something you, it's something that gets mentioned in the, at, the, at the bar stool, right? You know, talking about it. It's right. like, I, Penn State's got the number one team, and then the Iowa fans get to trumpet. It's like, yeah, that's with this, this, and this. 
Um, I don't think, what, the one thing the, the question I think mentioned is like, do we look at it differently because of transfers? And I think not at all because despite the fact that they do have some impact transfers, like transfers didn't start in 2019. They didn't start last year. They've always happened. And um, I think that there have always been a part of this part of the sport. So I don't think that is a is something to consider. What you could mention is these fifth year guys, these guys wrestling that have been in, in college five six years that got this extra year because of the of COVID. That that is you know maybe you could mention that, but um, it we'll should s- also they be do mentioned. It. NCAA's is scored different now than it was pre. I forget when it changed, like two thousand. The nineties, no, the ninety-seven year was scored how it how it's currently scored essentially. Um, it was nineteen eighty-three though. Yes, they scored one hundred and fifty-five points. Nomad actually did the translation yeah. way back years ago. It translates to one hundred seventy-seven point five. One seventy-seven point five. Yep. So that's that's two Iowa teams. So it'll be interesting if uh, Penn State can enter that uh, that conversation. Um, Next up, do we want to do any more? Uh, Ken Wilson also thinks that Nico Provo should be the number one. Um, not Maybe not a bad... Uh... Okay, Brian Murphy. This is a fun question. It kind of ties back to something we were discussing. If your opponent is floating to the edge consistently, is it a good idea to reset to the center multiple times, perhaps while demonstrably annoyed? Does that send a message to the refs that, hey, this guy is trying to wrestle with his back to the edge? So I think that could plant a seed in the ref's mind, yes. But at the same time, if he's floating to the edge, then you maybe just want to take advantage of the fact that he's already there and get active on the edge. And Because fair or not, the refs generally tend to err on the side of the process ranking more so than the judgment right. call ranking. So it's... But that... but. Brian, I think it is a, you know, I think maybe for for a wrestling coach to, like, suggest that, I don't think we'll see it. But I think for as, like, fans, you know, it would not necessarily be a bad strategy. What you should do, when it is important, I think, is these guys, will they'll float to the edge when they need a score, when when the guy pursuing needs a score. And then you have this Parker Kekai's and Bernie Truax thing where you have all these obstacles impeding your ability to score. It's almost like let them flow and then you center up so you can get an attempt in the middle of the mat. Um, but if they keep floating to the edge, you got to really hope this. Especially you get in like a, a Bernie Trick situation where you're an upper weight, you're long, and you can stick just a foot mm-hmm. off the mat when you sprawl. And it's like, I didn't even go out of bounds. I, I, yeah. I would have circled back in, but mm-hmm. I went out of bounds. Mm-hmm. I know one simple solution, but... Yeah. We get closer and closer every year. Eventually, we will succumb to a step-up point. I think this will be the last question from Dominic Montano. If Mitchell goes undefeated and David and Keegan split, will we get Cara O'Toole on the same side in March? Well, now this car, the car seed's even more interesting now that he's um, lost. And I think that's his point. So, yeah, if if Keegan... I mean, even if Keegan... Yeah, no, so they would have to split, and then they'd be on the same side because Mitchell could be opposite. So, yeah, it is it is on the table. If Carr, be- Carr beats Keegan and Keegan beats Carr, 
then yeah, they could be two three. I mean, well, shoot. The, what if Olenek? So, even if David never beats um, Keegan, but if he goes undefeated the regular season, he'll still probably get the two. He'll get the three behind Mitchell, two or three. Yeah, but then it's still be two or three. But then it's Mitchell and David in the semi, not Keegan. And oh David. yeah, yes. this guy's asking. So yeah, um, that that is uh, an interesting dynamic. So much wrestling yet to happen, but that's that's it. Possibility for sure. 165, Big 12. Yeah, crazy. Now with, I mean, you're thinking it's just Keegan and David, and I think probably it will be, but Isaac's Olenek, emerged. Olenek submerged as, as a guy to, that you got to be. He's a threat. He, he's in the back of the mind. He's looming. He's a loomer. He's a loomer. That's a new term. He's hovering. Just, yeah, he's a hovercraft. Um, man, that's it. We're going to call it right here, 958. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We're going to be back Wednesday, 1 Eastern, 12 Central, for for Diva Ben Askren, who it's not enough that he gets today off. It's not enough that he's <laughs> going to Australia for two weeks with his family. No, 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 no. Let's continue to coddle the international superstar, Ben Askren, and cater the schedule to him. Not you. Why would we carry the schedule to the fans at home? No. One ben guy. Ben Askren doesn't care about you. Ben Askren doesn't care. But because we care and we want the show to happen, we're going to do it at noon. All jokes aside, we'll see you then. Have a great, great Monday, great week. We'll see you Wednesday. Goodbye. This guy's getting married. <laughs> Real-